Hello everyone, it's Friday the 3rd of March and welcome to episode 144 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Now, before we start the show properly and I introduce our guests for today, um, I'm going to hand over to Chris because there was some sad news this week and Chris has something to say about someone who you've probably all heard of, Chris. This podcast is all about celebrating our great industry and those who make it great from those at the high echelons of processor, scientific and political life to those knee high in, well, you know what, in the dairy farmyards across the world. And this week's edition celebrates the crowning of a new champion for the industry, Alistair Logan. Congratulations, Alistair. We'll hear your story later. But while we crown new champions, we also have to say goodbye to old ones. And this week, the industry must mourn one of its biggest, if not the biggest, Ian Potter, the champion who has stood tall at the front of the industry for three decades and who was a friend to everyone within it. Although it's fair to say that not every farmer, processor or retailer viewed him like that at times. But he was because he really cared about this industry passionately. And very early on in his career, it was clear he wanted to make a difference and what a difference he made. Aside from his core business of trading quotas and entitlements, Ian was, I think, happiest when he was batting for the rights and causes of dairy farmers by identifying, reporting and commentating on what he thought was wrongdoing or lies or misconduct in the sector. Through his dairy farmer column, which he wrote every month for more than 25 years, to his weekly bulletin, first on quota issues and industry news, then entirely on the latter, he was like a bulldog sniffing out what he thought was malpractice and injustice, and then biting the backsides of the perpetrators. He was never afraid of telling it how it was, no matter the consequences. But that's what you got with Ian, the blunt truth. No bull, no matter how unpalatable the message. He particularly loved it when people and companies threw their lawyers at him after he'd written something they didn't like and threatened him with a libel or a defamation claim or an immediate action edict. Thou shall do what we tell you, Mr. Potter, before this deadline or else would come the pompous legal decree from some triple-barreled named legal firm. He'd fax or email the letters to me, usually with words scrawled at the top that were at the opposite end of the pompous scale. But whatever people thought of him, nobody, nobody ignored him. Whether they liked him or loathed him, Everyone listened to him and wanted to know what he had to say. And you can't say that about many people. Because of this and his gritty desire to expose the truth, he was hugely respected right across the industry, even by those who were on the sharp end of his teeth. Everyone knew the industry was better off for his presence, his probing, his pen. Now he has gone, 
the sector is worse off for it. So rest in peace, Ian Potter. You were our supporter, defender, campaigner, combatant, colleague and friend. For many, a very close friend. The industry will not be the same without you. Next week, John, Ash and I will be reflecting more on his life and his legacy. But now I am sure I speak for everyone who knew him in our industry, both here and abroad, when I say we will miss you enormously. If you haven't done it already, therefore, raise a glass to Ian tonight, our champion, always our champion. But now we press on. Cows have to be milked. Poo has to be scraped up. Podcasts have to be recorded and Becky has to be pleased. (laughs) So, Ben, let's go with podcast episode 144. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, well done. And um, yeah, as Chris said there, we will have a full episode all about Ian coming up, uh, I think, next week. Um, Now, Ian was indeed passionate about his industry. And today's episode is really all about celebrating the very best in dairy. So last month at Dairy Tech, the winner of the 2022 NMRRABDF Gold Cup was announced. The Gold Cup was started way back in 1920. It recognises dairy business efficiency and is regarded as one of the highest accolades within the industry. And the winner this year was the Logan family from Ayrshire. That's hardly news. Um, and we're privileged that Alistair Logan is with us today. Now in its fifth generation, the Logan family partnership consists of Alistair and his brother Stuart, alongside their father Tom and uncles Alex and Hugh. They run 280 pedigree Holsteins, milking twice a day, they're all year round carving and sell to Muller. So yes, Alistair Logan is with us. We're also joined by senior consultant with Kite, David Keeley, our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach, is back with us. How was Australia, Becky? Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Missed you lot endlessly, obviously. Oh, and um, yes, heard you were behaving ish whilst I was away. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. all good. It all, all went swimmingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Well, we've had a few good weeks on the markets, I think. The commodities climbed, the pricing ladder quite nicely for reasons that were not particularly apparent at the time because the fundamentals on supply and demand have not changed. The Dutch butter quotation hit the giddy heights of 4850 euros this week, and it hasn't been at this level since mid-January. However, though, the spot prices have fallen down the snake a bit on butter, quite markedly, actually, rather than just a bit. Some butter quotes were apparently down 400 euros. Uh, I think I've said recently that the increases were based on sentiment and not on logic. A dead cat bounce, if you like, and that looks as if it is the case. So I'm seeing market trades for butter now at €4,600 to €4,700 for March and April, and with skim at €2,500 to €2,600, we're still 
uh, getting a milk price equivalent of below 30p. The EU futures, butter futures, also crashed, I'm afraid, down 300 euros this week, but we're still 200 euros ahead of a month ago. So we're better than we were, just not as good as recently. But they may have leveled out yesterday at the lower at a lower level. Um, Cream is holding here, uh, which is good at 160 to 165 uh, per kilo. So no major change on last week. Uh, cheese in Europe has also dropped back a touch. Demand isn't great. And of course, more milk is coming through on the back of some decent production levels from high milk prices. We're still the wrong side of the flush, and that's bearing on sentiment. I know milk prices are dropping fast, but they're not going to hit bank accounts for a few weeks yet. So I think farmers are making milk while the milk check dazzles at the moment. So Goda and mozzarella are both down a touch again. Mozzarella's dropped below 3,000 euros at the lower end. So that's the equivalent of just over 2,500 sterling. I think UK sources will be higher, but not massively higher, and certainly nowhere near returning a milk price that the likes of Glambia and Dairy Partners are paying even after their latest cuts. Uh, curd I've seen at €4,000, so that's £3,550. Uh, so that's going to keep the pressure on mild still um, at around that sort of level, way less than what cheesemakers are paying. And spot milk is between 35 to 38p. So is there any good news? Well, there's three lots of good news, I think. Um, I've picked up that US farmers are culling at pace now. Uh, in January, 270,000 cows were slaughtered, which is the highest number for 35 years. Uh, we need global supplies to dip, and that's a good start. Secondly, and I'm not sure whether this is good or not, it might be good for the markets, I'm increasingly raising an eyebrow at soil moisture levels in the UK and Europe. I don't know what it's like you two in Scotland, but it's pretty dry down here. Uh, February was a very dry month all over everywhere. So could this be an issue that affects forage and milk volumes later in the year? Well, of course, it's too soon to say, but I've never had this on my radar in February and March before. And thirdly, and the best news of all, is Becky's back. Yes, won't affect the markets at all, but it will affect <laughs> me. I don't know, Chris. <laughs> you underestimate my impact, Chris Walkland. <laughs> so there you are, another mixed report. So it's all down to Alistair, Ben, Becky and David to cheer us all up. No pressure then. Take it away, folks. Thank you very much, Chris. Yes, good news today for sure. Alistair, we've got you with us. Welcome to the show. Congratulations, massive congratulations once again on, on winning the Gold Cup. How did it feel? Uh, morning, Ben, uh, and the rest of the guys. Thanks very much for having me. Um, how did it feel? Oh, I think the overriding emotion would be shock, to be honest. Uh, and it probably still hasn't really sunk in fully yet 
Although setting dates for open days, being asked to do uh, magazine articles and appear on Kite podcasts is maybe making it feel <laughs> feel a bit more real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to get to the final uh, sort of shortlist was uh, for us a great achievement, but never really expected to, to get any further. But yeah, a big shock. That would be the overriding emotion, I guess. Very modest, like most farmers, very modest. <laughs> just about to say that. <laughs> so, I mean, t- today's all about digging into your business, really, and giving everyone an idea of, I suppose, why you won this accolade, because it's it's clear to us, but we want to tell that story loud and clear. So tell us about the family partnership, um, because there's you, your brother, your dad, and two uncles. It's a real family affair. Uh, yeah, partnership uh, with my brother, uh, as you said, Stuart, dad, Tom, uh, my two uncles, uh, Alec and Hugh. Older generation are still very actively involved in the business, although myself and my brother take most of the day-to-day decisions. Stuart and I have both been partners since shortly after leaving school at 18. Immediately made involved in the business, decision-making, paying the bills, writing the checks, etc. It was always a thing that my my grandfather was really keen on, bringing on the younger generation, even 30 years ago. Yeah, succession planning's been a big buzzword in the last few years, but it was even 30 years ago, I guess, when my, my granddad sort of set wheels in motion to bring us into business and set us up to be where we are today. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you find that, taking on that responsibility as, as a teenager? Well, we, we weren't just thrown in at the deep end exactly, but sometimes the uh, best way to learn to, to swim is to get chucked in and get on with it. But I, th- I think I actually quite enjoyed it, quite relished it, until I was probably... 14, 15, maybe 16. I wasn't really all that keen on farming, being involved. And uh, I don't know what changed after that. I can't quite remember. Somebody did ask me that the other day and I couldn't quite come up with a, a, a reason, to be honest. But the responsibility, the, the business side of it, the technology as it was at that time was something that encouraged me to be involved. And obviously the older generation probably saw that and, and saw that as a way to, to get me into it. So, yeah, but, but, uh, but you could say it hasn't, it hasn't turned out too badly. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us more about the herd. Um, you're milking 280 pedigree Holsteins. Yeah, so currently milking about 280 pedigree Holsteins. Mm, 70% red and white. Historically, we had an Ayrshire herd. Uh, so about probably 10 years ago, uh, the business was about our crossroads. Uh, we're still milking in facilities that were built in the 70s. Uh, cubicles too small, parlour too small, too old, all the usual stuff. So we either had to invest expand or get out and in a less favoured area with 75 inches of rainfall and uh, in deepest darkest north Ayrshire bizarrely we made the decision to continue so a bit of a new dairy unit on a greenfield site so pretty much doubled the cow numbers that will have trebled the milk output and more uh, in that time uh, say a lot of red and white cows which which like the colour <laughs> there's no real uh, other reason just like redheads I don't know why um, <laughs> yeah so do I I married one <laughs> some fiery attitudes yeah, yeah it must be uh, house 365 majority of the young stock are now housed all year round as well last year only in calf heifers went out but I can see the time coming that they'll be housed as well mainly rainfall etc we've got in this area and you meant chris mentioned soil moisture, moisture levels it's something that we doesn't really cross our radar in this part of the world i'm afraid uh not yet anyway but going back to the cows yeah we're, we're basically just trying to be a, a moderate but not a small cow we've got to get our cows to eat a lot of forage so the big industry drive uh, to get cows small or smaller at least uh, i don't just totally agree with it 
a moderate sized cow is uh, what we're looking for, uh, just mainly to to be able to get the intakes of forage into them, produce at the uh, the amount of milk we're looking to get. But also when we're selecting sires for the herd, we look a lot at type. We're looking to sell uh, seventy to maybe ninety heifers in a year, fresh calved heifers. So looking for them to be well put together, feet, legs, others which in turn leads on to longevity and what a lot of buyers are looking for. Did you move whole hog into the greenfield site then, Alistair? Did you you built the uh, site and then shifted over? Or you still utilise the old site? Or? Uh, the old site, uh, yeah, well, it was on the greenfield site initially, so that was only for the dairy cows. So initially, or the milking cows, I should say. So initially the dries and in-calf heifers used the old buildings, but uh, we replaced it uh, four years ago. Uh, and some of the other older buildings for young stock have been replaced uh, last year and there's another one on its way out this year. So we've pretty much rebuilt the rest of the steading as well over the last 10 years. How much do you, of a part do you think that played then on you know where you are performance-wise now? You talked about some pretty huge. huge leaps. So the, the genetics of the cow were obviously already there, weren't they? And, and you were doing an awesome job in existing facilities. And then Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the new facilities uh, played a huge part. Cow comfort was our number one must-have when we designed it. That allowed the cows to be housed all year round with mm. less lameness now than we ever had before. It'd be wrong of me to say it's non-existent, uh, but it's very, very low levels now. Uh, that's just one example. Yeah, just allowing the cows to exhibit their natural abilities. Can you talk us through some of your numbers, Alistair, just to give listeners an idea as to why why you want the gold cap? Because this is quite yep. key. Yeah, so the cows are averaging about 10,500 litres, 4.2 fat, 3.4 protein, twice a day milking. Currently running a calving interval of 377 days, 23 to 24% preg rate, a 43% conception rate across all services, birth to calving mortality rate of 2.8%, which they tell me seems to be quite low. Yield from forage, just under 2,000 litres from forage. Purchase cost of all feed per litre, 17.7 currently, and a margin over purchase feed per litre of 29.53. Unfortunately, that was based on the milk price before it's dropped now to 42 point whatever pence per litre, so that's not going to be quite as good, unfortunately. It's just focusing on pure yield there, pure output, which is pretty impressive in terms of your figures. What do, what do you put secret to that success down to? I don't think there's any one particular thing. Just doing everything as well as you can. Everybody gets issues on farms. Anybody that tells you otherwise is stretching the truth. Uh, so you just got to do everything you can. But cow comfort, I would say, was pretty near the top. Our cows are in deep bedding. It's green bedding uh, as opposed to sand, which we decided not to, to use. But the green bedding that we use and the cow's cows is a, a huge difference uh, to the cows for cow comfort. I think that's uh, is key, but also uh, routine. Cows like Groundhog Day; they want the same feed, milk at the same time, the same things done with them day in day out. They're quite happy, uh, and we try to make good silage that we can feed them three hundred sixty five days a year to to allow that to happen. Can I just come in there as an amateur and all this sort of thing? That's really boring. You know, if I had the same stuff, the same food day in, day out, did the same things at the same time, day in, day out, that's really dull. You know, why do cows like that? Can't you just give them a bit of a change? Why do, why do they like boring lives? 
<laughs> you actually do like a bar in life, Chris. If I said to you, you're not coming on next Friday on the Kite podcast, you, oh, you get all up at it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll be gutted. Nobody yeah. likes change all the time. I've always wanted to know why they're like boredom. Routine, routine. Boredom, that's different. Yeah, boredom and routine are different, aren't they? It's like being on holiday, isn't it? I can quote this because I've only just been, but... Um, it's a bit like I always talk about housed cows in comparison to like a all-inclusive holiday. You know, the buffets are laid out for you. You go from the buffet to the sun lounger, back to, you know, the pool and then back to the buffet and to the sun lounger. That's about it. It's not a bad life, is it? I have I have missed the Becky analogies. <laughs> They're not as good as the uh, John Allen ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need a jingle for that. <laughs> David, let's go over to you. From your point of view, why is the Logan family enterprise so impressive? And also, I mean, how does it feel to have have a winner north of the border as well? Whoop, whoop. Well, it's fantastic um, on both counts. So very many congratulations to Alistair and his family. I think he's undersold himself. The, the family are very, very dedicated to what they do and they put an awful lot of effort in. I think it's a fantastic testament to the all the generation that they've got the the younger generation and the generation that's going to take the business forward involved so early. So it's it's a it's a fantastic tribute to to what the family are doing. So very well done, and we look forward to seeing you in in August. Um, it's a quite a big process to go through this. Um, and there's a lot of farms get contacted to say you're eligible to put an application in, but actually to take that forward and go through the judging process and be scrutinised by your peers and vets and industry professionals that are going to come and look hard at the figures and determine whether you you know you you're good enough to do this is um you know it's a, it's a fairly big process to go through so well done is it's, it's, it's excellent i think the one thing that's coming through loud and clear and what alistair's saying is welfare and cow comfort being at the top of his list and that's allowed the genetics that's in his herd which is exceptionally good you know they've been the top 2% genetics in the uk that are going to allow those genetics to exhibit and what he's been saying about how he's managing um the young stock going forward in what is you know a less favored area on the, 75 inches of rainfall is a lot of inches um of rainfall we get 60 down here in sunny dumfries and galloway and i think that's a lot but yeah to manage that to to, to have the quality of forage that he puts in front of those cows and to achieve the milk from forage figures that he's getting in a wet area is no mean feat um and the soils will be heavy uh, and it'll be it'll be quite hard getting on and off there with um, with big kit. It's a big accolade. Um, and in terms of Scotland, Scotland really does punch up of its weight. I mean, we had two finalists there out of the five, which the, the Royal family as well. Another exceptional dairy farm. We've always got finalists there. Um, so it's, it's 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 a real accolade for Scotland to have um, Scottish farms at the top of that list. Um, you know. We had the Sloan family winning in 2019, another exceptional dairy that we all saw and enjoyed. And we got an insight into their story that they've gone down the robotic route with. We've got some really good fundamentals coming out of Scotland in terms of progressiveness, in terms of forward thinking, use of technology, and, and really pushing um, pushing excellence. And I think um, you know that's supported by dedicated families like Alistair's, and um, and we we're seeing some really positive knock-ons from that. I think the the biggest thing we get, the buzz we get from this, is everybody seeing what they're doing, and everybody takes something home from these um, both this process really. Um, and it's a really good, it's a very very positive thing for Scotland that we've had two recent winners. So well done, Alistair. You mentioned welfare there. You also mentioned tech and something that was mentioned in the press um around the sort of gold cup 
was uh alistair this this sort of your using of technology and data to maximize the health and welfare of your herd can you just tell us a little bit more about that i, I think a real game changer for us uh, a couple of years ago was installing cow manager uh, which is a an ear tag based fertility activity temperature eating rumination monitoring system this thing is exceptionally good at picking up cows that are feeling a bit under the weather temperature drops maybe a slight drop off in rumination flags it up to us on a mobile phone we go and deal with it uh, that's just one example of the type of thing we, we like to have information on uh, we've got a body condition scoring camera and the uh, return race from the parlor which in a lot of ways any job can be automated to a certain extent but this one takes out any human error uh, body condition scoring is a, a sort of subjective thing. The five of us here could uh, body condition score the same cows and come up with some slightly different answers. Get get machine to do it, uh, and it will do it the same every time. It might be wrong every time, but at least it will be the same every time. Cluster flush in the parlour. We don't do anything really exceptionally different from a lot of other guys out there doing, to be honest with you. We just try and do as many things as we can uh, to, to try and keep them tough, health and welfare of the cows. You mentioned a little bit about technology there, and then you also talked, obviously, about it, you know it being a family partnership. What's the sort of who focuses on what in the business? Do, do you have specific people who take leads, or is everybody doing a bit of everything, or how does that look in your business? We don't have specific roles as such, but each of us has uh, our main role, if you like. Uh, but we all sort of do a bit of crossover between the different sectors we've got. We have quite a lot of sheep as well. So my brother mainly deals with them. My dad helps him uh, alongside me when I absolutely have to. I don't particularly <laughs> like sheep. Um, but uh, the dairy is mainly myself and my uncle Alec. Uh, me mainly taking the lead at the moment. And Hugh, my other uncle, deals with the suckler cows that we have. But we do do a bit of crossover, but uh, really, uh, in reality, as far as this da- dairy side of the business is concerned, it's me that takes the lead mainly. So my phone seems to bleep more than anyone else's, to be honest. Surely, if you've got sheep, it's uh, family members saying the sheep are out. Yeah, more than likely, yeah. <laughs> what, um, you know, do you have any sort of relief staff with you on the um, on the dairy, or do you have a couple of permanent full-time members of staff or uh, we don't have any full-time members of staff we have uh, a relief milker but she comes on a regular basis so i don't know whether you call that totally relief but yeah she milks regularly with us uh, in the mornings and uh, one of my aunts actually milks regularly in the evenings so we do most of the work within the family although we contract out the main sort of field operations on the farm silage slurry plowing etc is all done by contractors can you tell us what you're doing in terms of energy investment and, and renewables? Uh, yep, uh, we've done quite a few things over the years. Probably 10, 12 years ago, we put some solar panels on the roof, only 10 kilowatts. At the time, that was us maxing out the, the capacity on the grid that we could get. Uh, we then, eight years ago, installed a 150 kilowatt biomass boiler, which provides heat and hot water to two houses and the dairy. Four years ago, uh, Utilising our 75-inch rainfall, we thought it would be a, a good idea to look at hydroelectric and we installed a 950-kilowatt hydroelectric generator, which produces roughly enough electricity for 600 houses, roughly. The majority of that is exported to the grid with a connection to the farm. We're just about to begin construction in conjunction with a local community charity, a 3-megawatt wind turbine. And we've also got a further hydroelectric 
a scheme uh, with a planning consent. Oh, it's an 800 kilowatt, so we do produce quite a bit of power. We're net exporters of electricity, obviously, from the farm. So initially it was done as another income stream, but with electricity prices going well, they've gone in the last while. It's been a major cost offset, obviously. So it's been a it's been a huge a huge boost to the business. Uh, I can see us through leaner times in milk price or beef cattle price, whatever. This is a, a sort of steady income in the background. Interesting that community connection on the um, turbine because you'll be fairly uh, urban, will you, North Ayrshire? Uh, yeah, we're only half a mile from the edge of the town. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've tried. We're actually, where the, the farm sits, we're actually right on the border of Clydemere Shield Regional Park, which uh, was a big block to getting turbines on uh, until we've obviously managed to get this planning consent through mainly on the back of this local sort of community benefit scheme. So hopefully that might open the door to, to further ones and hopefully the planning officers are listening to this. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do, do you get much engagement for the from the community on sort of the cows and food production element and, you know, interest from kids and school visits? And that? Uh, yeah, we've had school visits and where we're situated quite close to the towns are a pretty popular local walking routes. So we get quite a number of people basically walking around the farm because uh, we have a, a through road out through the, the other part of the fil- uh, farm as well, which is also popular for walking. So quite often get young kids having a look at the cows and we actively encourage them to do so. Uh, I think getting these, getting the young ones, in, not necessarily interested, but getting them to uh, have some understanding of what we're actually doing is quite important. Do they ever criticise you because the cows aren't grazing? No, I don't think I've ever. They, they maybe ask do they go out and when you say no and you explain why they seem quite happy with that uh, I don't think I've ever came across anyone who has actually been against what we're doing they kind of maybe say oh you know it's nice to see them outside but they understand fully why we're doing it and we try to explain it not necessarily from a, a any other point other than the, the welfare of the cows that we're looking after these cows to the best of our ability 100% all the time. They're not standing out in a field up to their ankles in, in mud uh, and getting soaked and frozen. David, just going back to the renewables uh, front, from a, from a consultancy perspective, what is the standard advice today on investment in renewables, either as income or for offsetting costs as part of an overall business? So we've seen an unprecedented, well, we're all aware of this, energy inflation is a massive issue with businesses um, and electricity costs have gone up probably 250%. Um, since we've seen the, the outbreak of the Ukraine war in terms of pence per litre when we're looking at the benchmark. So there's a fairly big issue there. It's a world issue and we're going to be in a, a position where there's a bit more volatility in that. So in terms of looking at your business and future-proofing your business, I think there is a place for renewables, a really strong place for renewables on dairy farms. It's a journey that we've come on. Um, and from, well, living in Scotland very early on, about 10, 15 years ago, we are going mad putting wind turbines up and very quickly the grid capacity got used up and we couldn't do anything more. And I think you know, that's changing. Grid capacity is getting updated. The cost of putting these systems in is, is, and the payback periods are getting shorter, particularly on things like solar. And that investment you know, is, is, is looking consistently better. Um, battery storage on farm to utilise the power, another technology that's really coming to the fore. Um, a lot of people putting batteries in this year to store power and um, use that power um, effectively on farm. 
um, when they need it, when the requirements there. So things like robotic milking systems, milk cooling, um, slurry separation and um, slurry pumping. You know the big the big requirements for power with that are being even out because we can now use battery storage as well as what we've what we're putting back to the to the to the grid. So yeah, I think apart from the issue of getting specific parts for some of these systems, which through Brexit have been difficult to get. You know, I think this year one of the issues was trying to get brackets to hang solar panels on roofs. Um, there's a lot of PV systems lying on the deck because of that. Um, but yeah, I think they've, it, it does have a, a very, very good place. Thinking about from a consultancy perspective, using it, get the energy audit done and seeing where where the opportunities are, um, what your usage is. Um, can you make that any more efficient in terms of milk cooling, in terms of heating water? Um, you know, these are some of the quick wins that we've seen on farm. And then thinking about a system that's going to be tailored to to what you have and what your natural advantages are, you know, and it's going to give you a reasonably quick payback period. So I think, yeah, given the climate, the economic climate that we're in, um, we probably need to think and focus on that um, more than we have done. And because a lot of these systems are very quick payback and the banks at the minute are probably in terms of financing these systems looking an and for an environmental perspective on money that they're lending out um you know it's a win-win for farmers really so i would encourage it if you've not already looked at it and most people have to be fair to some degree um but i think there's always and i think alice is a fantastic example of this in that he's looked at a plethora of systems the only one he's not done i think is ad and it'd be interesting to see why he's not made that decision to be fair um but it is a i think it is yeah it's definitely something we need to take advantage of one of the things just finally, I took back from when we, we went to Holland before Christmas. You know, they have all got small AD plants on the on the units that are working reasonably efficiently. And the one thing they said was when we left the unit is that a cow produces enough methane to fuel four houses or power four houses. So, you know, we're part of the solution, dairy farming. We're not part of the problem. Alice, did you want to just quickly come back on uh, David's question about AD as to why you haven't gone down that line? Uh, AD, we did actually look at it briefly. We had looked at it thinking... Right, could we reduce the amount of slurry we've got in the farm? But obviously it doesn't actually, it just processes it. We couldn't maybe use the heat because we already had our biomass. Uh, any electricity that it generated, we couldn't, it wouldn't add to what we already had. Our grid connection is pretty much maxed out now. So we were kind of, had no real use for it, to be honest, unless there is another one that I don't know of. Okay. Let's move on to challenges and opportunities. Um, what particular challenges do you have in the business, in the business, Alistair? I've spoken about it a few times already, but I would say our biggest challenge is the climate we have here. Uh, but when I was thinking about this, uh, as we were talking, it's probably also our biggest strength in many respects. Uh, we don't have a lack of moisture, or very, very rarely do we. Uh, so we're able to grow loads of forage. It's not an issue. Sometimes we have an issue harvesting it. I, I, I think that the as climate is changing, and obviously we are actually on the beneficial side of the equation here, uh, that it's probably improving in our respects. Two years ago, we only had 57, I think it was, inches, which is a dry, a really dry year for us. But uh, last year, it was back over 70 again. So yes, our 75-inch rainfall quite possibly could drop off. But our business is growing grass and we can do that well in this area uh, with the moisture we've got and also we've harnessed that water to produce power through our hydroelectric plants so i think that's probably our 
uh, our biggest challenge, but also our biggest strength. Yeah, I really like that. I've become a big fan recently actually talking with quite a few farmers of, of taking looking because there are always two different ways of looking at everything if you've got a challenge how can you reframe that and see it as a strength and that's a great example of that um what about opportunities obviously yeah you, you frame one there but um other opportunities how do you see the future of the herds and a key one i suppose what are you looking to invest in next next investment uh it's hoping to happen this year is uh another uh the last piece in the jigsaw of the housing that we've not got in place yet. So from three to nine month old calves are still in a sort of older building. So looking to replace them this year. More silage pits are required, mainly just to manage silage better. Genomic testing is somewhere we've not really ventured very far yet in the herd, uh, but it's something that we're about to start doing i think we've got all the infrastructure on the farm pretty much where we need it to be so we're going to try and focus now on the on the cows and try and drive the maybe not so much the the yield performance but the health benefits of genomic testing i think something we're uh, really going to focus on in the next in the next few years going forward i, I think probably to, to drive yields any further we're either going to have to go to uh, another milking which Staffing-wise, might be more difficult. Uh, so robots might be something that's on the on the agenda at some point in the future. I don't think it would ever go to a, a fully robotic system for milking. Uh, I've seen quite a few examples of partial robots, partial still parlour, and I think that's probably the road that we'd initially go down, but uh, that's one for the future, I think, at the moment. Uh, uh, so a twin system, I've never heard of a twin system before. Does that mean cows go through a robot and a conventional parlour, or you have specific cows for robots and specific ones for parlours? Yes, you would have the, the high yielders on the robots and later lactation and or difficult cows that struggle to cope with the robots on the, on the parlour. I think the disadvantage of that is you're carrying quite a lot of overhead cost, both for the parlour and the robots. But But the advantage is you're getting the... You get very high peaks and you're getting the potential out of the, the genetics in the cows that are there. They're being fed more frequently. You, you know, you're milking over three times a day and you're getting the, you know, you really are getting the best out of those animals and you're giving them the, the best nutrition in terms of managing those cows at, at peak lactation. So you, you probably will get a yield increment by doing that naturally by milking them more frequently. Then you then you put them through the parlour in later lactation. The big disadvantage is you're carrying those costs, but the cost will hopefully be offset by the yield and the productivity that you get from the cow. I think you get more yield because they're not as bored. Miss what is it about this? Your hairy farming expertise on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> David, we had Digital Dairy Chain on the pod a couple of weeks ago. Do you see any opportunity with that for Alistair's business? So some of the um, what Alistair talked about in terms of his energy generation and the way that he's looking at that, I think would fit into the the, the remit that they've got in terms of it being innovative and novel. Um, I think the steps that he's taken with the the community in order to to encompass what he's doing with a with a wider uh, the wider community the, and the population that lives around his farm is very good. Um, I think there's, there's obvious opportunities there. We spent a bit of time with Stuart this week talking about the process and how, okay. how that's going to go. And it's generated since our podcast quite a bit of interest. Right. Um, I mean, each application's probably 
you know, there's three hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of, of funding there if you can if you can get the right application put together. And they're looking for collaboration, they're looking for environmental goods, looking for sustainability, and they're looking for something that you know benefits the whole supply chain, so from the farm to the processor. We got quite a, um, a quick turnaround in terms of dates. And um, the scheme's going to open on the seventeenth of April and closes on the thirty first of May. And um, they've right. confirmed that. You're being let know if you've if you've been successful with your funding opportunity by the 30th of June. So projects looking to start in October 23. So I, I think there is opportunities, and if um, and there's been a number of farmers um, inquire both the Stuart and myself about this. I think you know it's time to get your ducks in a row and think about how how you can utilise that money. The Innovate UK website has some examples on it of of, of um, previous schemes that have been done and how they've and how they've ticked the the boxes in terms of collaboration. But um, yeah, I think I think there's, it's an opportunity, and I think um, given where Alistair is in terms of his renewables and what he's thinking of doing in future, there's that the, there are you know there will be possibilities there. Waste and soils, you know, farm using utilizing farm nutrient and soils, I think is probably somewhere that you could look at quite effectively um, in, in terms of generating, utilising what he generates from the farm more effectively. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, and listeners, if you are interested, uh, just see the show notes. We put all that information there, um, scribble those dates down, and um, yeah, good luck. Uh, Alistair, do you have a message for the Gold Cup sponsors, RBDF and NMR? Yeah, I'd just like to, to say how good it is that after 100 years uh, in existence, the Gold Cup's still highly regarded within the dairy industry and is regarded as pretty much the premier dairy farm competition in the UK. And continued promotion and sponsorship by RABDF and NMR is obviously very important in keeping this thing going uh, and promoting it. So yeah, it's take my hat off to these guys for uh, the amount of effort they put into to promote the, the competition itself, the work they put in in the background with the uh, Open Day organisation, etc., is, is really good and hopefully long may it continue. And we'll massive see you all on the 10th of August. Yeah, massive congratulations again from all of us. Seriously, seriously impressive. Um, yeah, please pass that on to all the family. Thank you. That is all we have time for. But a big thank you to our guests today, Alistair Logan, David Keeley. Becky Leach and Chris Auckland. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.